Good morning, everyone. Um, if you would, please open your Bibles with me um, to the book of Hebrews. Our scripture reading today is found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 14. So if you would, follow along. Again, that's Hebrews, chapter 9, verses 1 through 14. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high, only the high priest goes and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the pur for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Thank you, Cody. Well, I encourage you this morning to keep your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 9. Those verse, first 14 verses will be the sermon text for today. You'll remember that when Adam and Eve sinned against God, back in the Garden of Eden, we learned this in Genesis, first part of Genesis, their guilt and really their fear drove them to hide from God. When when King David was guilty of committing adultery, he said this, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. When Judas Iscariot was overwhelmed with the guilt that he committed, he went out tragically and hung himself. We have all experienced a guilty conscience. All of us have been wronged by what we did or what we 
didn't do. And because of that, we have all felt the weight of our guilt before God, all of us. So what is the solution for a guilty conscience? What is it that can cleanse a guilty conscience? Um, Do you remember the story Martin Luther in the early 1500s? Um, Christianity Today says this, Luther was extraordinarily successful as a monk. He plunged into prayer, fasting, and aesthetic practices, such as going without sleep, enduring bone-chilling cold without a blanket, and flagellating himself. And as he later commented, if anyone could have earned heaven by the life of a monk, it was I. Though he sought by these means to love God fully, he found no consolation. He was increasingly terrified of the wrath of God. When it is touched by this passing inundation of the eternal, the soul feels and drinks nothing but eternal punishment. Uh, Luther goes on, he says, Though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that he was placated by my satisfaction. I did not love. Yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners and secretly, if not in a blasphemous way, certainly murmuring greatly. I was angry with God and said, As if, indeed, it's not enough that miserable sinners eternally lost through original sin are crushing by every kind of calamity by the law of the Decalogue without having God add pain to pain by the gospel and also by the gospel threatening us with his righteousness and wrath. Thus I raged with a fierce and troubled conscience." So what is the answer for a guilty conscience? Now, keep in mind, guilt is our friend, not our enemy. A guilty conscience lets us know that something is wrong in your relationship with God and or with others. Uh, Guilt is like the little red light on the dashboard of your car that, that indicates that there is a problem that needs to be fixed. So we're we're created by God, we're created to be lovers of God and lovers of people, but if we fail at those, um, and we often do fail at those, we have this guilty conscience. So what do we do when we fail? How can we again love God with all of our heart and love people as ourselves and do that with a clean conscience? Well, As Martin Luther discovered, being involved in man-made religious activities is not the answer to a guilty conscience before God. All, All the religious activities in the world will not cleanse a guilty conscience. And if you consider a convicted criminal who served time in prison, even if their punishment fits the crime, the guilty conscience is still not satisfied. 
Uh, this is demonstrated in the life of Albert Speer. Albert Speer lived in Germany during World War II. He was the Minister of Armaments and War Production in Germany, making sure that factories continued in operation, making equipment for war. He was so good at what he did that even after the Allied bombing, the production in the factories increased. And he was so trusted by Hitler that Hitler told him, Spear, I'll sign anything that comes from you. And after the war, he was tried in Nuremberg along with the 21 other most important captured leaders of Nazi Germany. And many of those were executed for their crimes. But what made Spear unique is that he pleaded guilty to the war crimes and said that he was sorry. He was sentenced to 20 years in prison. But when he was released from prison, he turned his attention to writing about his experiences inside the Nazi regime, and his book sold very well. At one point, he came to America and was interviewed on Good Morning America uh, regarding this book that he had written. And the interviewer said to him, you, you have said um, the guilt can never be forgiven or shouldn't be. Do you still feel that way? And Speer replied with a pained look on his face, I served a sentence of 20 years and I could say I'm a free man. My conscience has been cleared by serving the whole time of this punishment, but I can't get rid of it. This new book is part of my atoning, of clearing my conscience. And the interviewer pressed the point, you really don't think you'll be able to clear it totally? And Spear shook his head, I don't think it will be possible. Jail for 20 years didn't help, and a book of confessions didn't help either. So what does help? What clears a guilty conscience? Today's message found in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 14, gives us the answer. In this text, I want you to see a contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, but it's more than a contrast. The Old Covenant prepares you for the New Covenant. The Old Covenant establishes our guilt and prepares us for the solution that's found in the New Covenant. The goal is to make us as image bearers as God intended us for be, as worshipers of Him in spirit and in truth. So let, let's consider worship under the first covenant, the old covenant. Verse 1 says, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. So what, what is worship? Well, in its simplest terms, we worship when we respond to God in the ways that he teaches us to respond. Um, God revealed himself, God acts redemptively in our lives, God teaches us, and we respond in right ways. So worship is a right response to God's revealing presence in our lives. Worship under the Old Covenant was a response to God redeeming Israel from slavery in Egypt. And 
It included, first and foremost, making offerings and sacrifices at the tabernacle. So worship included other things that the law required, but most importantly, under the Old Covenant, worship took place when offerings and sacrifices were made at the tabernacle. And so we see God also gave this place for worship, verses 2 through 5. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence, it is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded in the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. And of these things we cannot speak now in detail. So we, we see here that Israel was not alone. God had redeemed them from slavery, gave them the law to teach them how to live as redeemed people. And in the tabernacle and in the most holy place in particular, God dwelled with his people. And a big part of Israel's worship um, was responding by coming to the tabernacle for worship. Um, and to help with that, God gave priests for this worship, verse 6 and 7. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties, but into the second, only the high priest goes, but he but once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. So priests were set apart to carry out the many requirements of daily worship at the tabernacle, and it was the high priest who had the unique responsibility to enter into the most holy place annually, once a year, but only with the blood of a proper sacrifice, which was for himself and for the people that he represented. So in this way, God gave instructions for worship as well. Um, there, there's more that could be said, but in this we learn that God in fact desired for his people to worship him. You'll remember the Lord spoke to Pharaoh through Moses and Aaron saying, let my people go that we may go into the wilderness for worship. So God desired for his people to worship him. God was also particular in how he was worshipped. The law, the law went into great detail about proper ways to worship God. But he, here is the key. Access to God under the old covenant was limited. Verse 8 says, by this, uh, re referring back to verse 7, where we're told that it was the on only the high priest who would go into the most holy place, and this only once a year, and only with blood. So by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. So in other words... Access into God's presence was limited under the Old Covenant. Only the high priest, once a year, could go into God's presence. Uh, other priests could not do this, only the high priest. And certainly, normal, quote-unquote, normal Israelites could never think about going into the presence of God. 
Uh, verse 9 continues, According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. So the, the fact that access was limited to only the high priest and only once a year indicates that the gifts and the sacrifice did not cleanse the guilty conscience of sinners. Verse 10, but they dealt with only food and drink and various washings, <clears throat> regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. So the, the Old Covenant provided ceremonial cleansing, but hearts were not cleansed. Sometimes so, something more was really needed in order to cleanse people from their guilty conscience. In fact, the Old Covenant was given for the purpose of pointing to that something better. And that something better was worship under the New Covenant. In the New Covenant, God gave a place for worship. Verse 11 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, we'll stop there, we'll continue in a bit, but the, the place of worship mentioned here is in fact, I think, the heavenly abode of God. And Jesus is the one that takes us there. The, the New Testament does teach that Jesus is the new temple. He is the presence of God with man. But in this verse, we're taught that it was Jesus the Christ who had every right to go bodily into the presence of God the Father. And in that, we see that God gave Jesus as the high priest for worship. Verse 11 says, Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come. Um, Jesus was that faithful high priest who had the right to go into God's heavenly abode, into the very presence of God the Father. So th this Jesus ushered in all sorts of blessings for New Covenant members, all, all sorts of things that were better. Um, in the whole book of Hebrews, we learn, we're taught that Jesus is a better prophet. He is a better priest. He makes a better covenant. And he is also the better uh, sacrifice. And in fact, God gave better instructions for, wor for worship. Look at verse 12 through 14. He, Christ, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For in the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, or if, if that takes place, they, they sanctify for the purification of the flesh, verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So Jesus was the spotless lamb of God without blemish, and he offered his own blood as a sacrifice to God the Father. And he did this through the enablement of the eternal spirit. So notice all three persons of the Holy Trinity are mentioned. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus accomplished, he accomplished once for all time. 
What, what Jesus accomplished was infinitely more than what the blood of a goat or bull could ever accomplish. Jesus' shed blood offered to God the Father through the eternal Spirit secured an eternal redemption. And it is this work accomplished by Jesus on our behalf that purifies our conscience from dead works so that we can serve and worship the living, the true and living God. So what, what is it that can actually cleanse a guilty conscience? It is only the shed blood of Jesus. Praise God for that wonderful truth. Now in this, we learn that God, in fact, desires to worship for His people to worship Him. As the end of verse 14 states, the blood of Jesus purifies our conscience so we can serve the living God. The word used for serve there can also be translated worship. Often it is. It has the idea of being able to carry out requirements of worship in the presence of God. So, so think about that. It's, in the Old Covenant, only the high priest could go into the presence of God to offer worship, and he could do that only once a year. But now, because of what Jesus did for us, the guilt of our sin before God is cleansed, it's gone, and we, we can go boldly, not, not arrogantly, but confidently, we can go into God's presence and worship anytime and anywhere. What, what an amazing privilege we have as new covenant members. As we read in Hebrews 10, 19-22, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It's amazing truth. Let, let, let us therefore affirm that God is in fact particular in how He is worshipped. Remember in its simplest form, we worship when we respond to God in ways that He teaches us to respond God reveals Himself through Christ. God has redeemed us once and for all. The Spirit teaches us, and we respond in right ways. So worship is a right response to God's re redemptive activity in our lives. Worship, therefore, must be God-centered. We, we must concern ourselves with what God deserves. Jesus taught us that the Father is searching for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. We don't need to go to Jerusalem any longer to worship. We do go boldly before God and through Christ, empowered by the Spirit, where two or three have gathered in the name of Jesus and we worship or we respond as He teaches us to respond. And I think this ought to put in us a humble and teachable spirit as we long more and more to learn about uh, His grace in our lives, both corporately and individually. It, 
it ought to put a burning desire in our hearts to open up the pages of God's Word and say, Lord, teach me how, teach us how to worship You in ways that are filled with truth. Um, our, our worship ought to be a sweet-smelling aroma before God. As we come together as a church, we remember what God has done for us in Christ by His Spirit. And th- this, in Hebrews 12, 28-29, becomes our desire. I quote, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. That in contrast to what the Israelites experienced when they were at the foot of Mount Sinai, when God came down to that mountain, the mountain shook, and um, God gave to the Israelites the, the law. Um, we, we can come with grateful hearts for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and we can offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and all, for our God is a consuming fire. So when we gather together, I think that's our burning desire. When, when we scatter from here and we go our own way, we go to our homes, we go to our workplaces, into our neighborhoods. I think Romans 12, 1 and 2 speak of how we live individually. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. But again, I think the biggest contrast that we, we, I don't want you to miss is this, that under the old covenant, access to God was limited, but access to God is open to us through the blood of Jesus. There, there is no other way but through the blood of Jesus for us to boldly approach the throne of God's grace. And when we do that, we can expect to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And that, that too leads us to worship. So let me just mention a couple of key truths. One that you, you know we see in this text. God is holy. He is a one-of-a-kind God. He is set apart. There is no one else like Him. He is perfect in, in His character, in His moral perfections. God is unique in His holiness. Secondly, sinful man can't approach God on their own terms, and, and live. Um, ask Nadab and Abihu. <laughs> Names that if you aren't familiar with, you should become familiar with. Read Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus 10 tells the story of these two sons of Aaron who were born into a priestly family, but they decided to worship in their own way, not as God had clearly taught them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and killed them on the spot. Sinful man can't approach God on their own terms and live. But it's only through the blood of Jesus 
that man can be brought back to God. Or maybe a better way to say it is, is this, only through the blood of Jesus can man enter into the presence of the living God and live. The fact that that can be stated as a truth is utterly amazing when you consider the example and what we see in the Old Covenant. It's by the means of Christ's blood that we have an eternal redemption. Um, Christ doesn't offer himself again and again and again. There aren't annual sacrifices. Christ offered himself once for all. And the work that he did once was sufficient to purchase our salvation for all time. By the means of Christ's blood, our conscience is purified from dead works. So when we do those things that bring guilt into our lives before a holy God, um, there's nothing else that can take away that guilt that can plague the soul. Nothing except the shed blood of Jesus. It is by the means of Christ's blood that we are freed to serve or to worship the true and living God. It's a wonderful truth. And this morning we've chosen to do communion after time that we've spent here in this text. And we, we have done that because one of the ways in which we're taught to worship is to eat the Lord's table together with grateful hearts. Great, grateful for our conscience being cleansed with the shed blood of Jesus. Thankful that the guilt of our sin is gone and that all, all of this is true because of the shed blood of Jesus for us. And so I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing one song, uh, The Power of the Cross. Let's, let's prepare our hearts for communion. Um, and as we anticipate partaking of the bread and the cup, I encourage you to do that. Fill in your mind with truths about what the shed blood of Jesus really accomplished for you. And let your heart be overflowing with thanksgiving. Intentionally take time to think about the, the shed blood of Jesus that cleanses a guilty conscience and express in your own way your thankfulness to God for that. Let's pray together. Father, we really stand amazed at your wisdom, your, your love, your mercy, your grace, the incredible provision of your very own Son, who you sent to this earth to die, your Son who willingly laid down his life and shed his blood so that our sin could be forgiven, so our guilty conscience can be cleansed. What an amazing thing it is for us as individuals who know well how we once were, our identity was that of a sinner, and how even now in Christ we still sin, and yet it's the shed blood of Jesus alone, nothing but the shed blood of Jesus that washes away that guilt so that we can come even boldly before you and, and live. We can come before you and offer our worship to 
lift our voices filled with praise. We can come boldly before you in times of need and expect to find mercy and grace to help us. Father, this morning we want to just recognize, we want to affirm, we want to celebrate, we want to thank you that we want to thank you for the shed blood of Jesus that cleanses completely, forever, our guilty conscience before you. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.